The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals being interviewed and do not necessarily represent those of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington Decker. Each episode, I get the privilege to speak to the amazing people taking Winter Haven and its surrounding Central Florida area to the next level. We're future-focused, celebrating our entrepreneurial history and leveraging it for our bright future ahead. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker, President and CEO of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. This podcast is produced by the Winter Haven Chamber and recorded at Dolphin Image Studios in Winter Haven. Our producer from Dolphin Image Studios is Joe. Hey, Joe, tell our listeners a little bit about the studios. Thanks, Katie. At Dolphin Image Studios, we are a full production film and television studio. We offer a 3,000-square-foot soundstage, a psych wall, an LED wall, the podcast studio, and a massive eight-acre backlot for all of your filming needs. To find us, go to facebook.com backslash Dolphin Image Studios or find us on Instagram at Dolphin Image Studios. It's hard to believe that in one year we launched 41 episodes of this podcast. We've got an exciting year ahead for you on season two. We're going to kick off season two with a conversation with MJ Carnavali, Public Works Director for the City of Winter Haven. And I know what you're thinking. Really, Katie, Public Works is exciting. But Listen to MJ today, and I promise you will be impressed. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of our sponsors who believe in advancing commerce and community in Winter Haven. Citizens Bank and Trust, we've been your hometown full-service financial institution right here in your backyard since 1920. Now in our third generation of family ownership, we've served the Polk County community for over 100 years. No matter your needs, we have the right financial solutions for you. At Citizens Bank and Trust, we've got you covered, from secure checking and personal savings plans to a wide range of personal, mortgage, and business loans. Additionally, we offer a highly experienced group of trust and private banking professionals located right here in Polk County. It takes just one visit to one of our 14 convenient locations to experience what makes our bank special and why we invite you to give us a try. At Citizens Bank and Trust, we're proud to be your bank. Citizens-Bank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. There are a lot of things that go on behind the scenes in city government that we take for granted. Did the traffic lights function on your way to work today? Did your garbage and recycling get picked up? There is so much work that goes on to make sure the wheels keep moving to make our lives easier. That's where Public Works comes in. We are excited to welcome to the podcast today, MJ Carnavali, who's talking about the work that they're doing in the Public Works Department to improve our lives every day. Welcome to the podcast, MJ. Thanks, glad to be here. You have accomplished a lot in your short career, uh, including rising to the level of Public Works uh, Director. So so what was your journey to that position? Well, I think, You know, it started off, I grew up in South Florida in a town called Wellington, which was very rural when I grew up there and Mm -hmm. uh, is very developed now. (laughs) But I spent a lot of time outside uh, going to the beach and playing in the woods and mountain biking and um, fishing, that kind of thing. So I really developed a deep appreciation for the outdoors and nature Mm -hmm. um, and 
that was just something I carried with me. And then towards the end of high school, I took an AP environmental class. And the teacher of that guy named Mr. Marshall was the first person that really made me understand that, like, you could do this as a career. Like, you mm-hmm. could spend time outside. Um, so I really started moving towards, like, an environmental science field. Um, I went to Santa Fe Community College mm-hmm. and studied forestry there. I was kind of went in as an environmental track. Uh, but I went over and I met some folks at UF and found out about the forestry program. So Santa Fe had a direct track for forestry uh, to move into UF uh, mm-hmm. with that program. So then I studied forestry at UF, uh, which looks a lot at timber and upland management um, of flatwoods in North Florida, basically growing pine for uh, paper production, mm-hmm. uh, but then also in natural systems restoration. Uh, so I spent a lot of time learning about the uplands there. And then that program had a class called forest operations and we spent a lot of time in the field with people in the industry and i had like three old timers in the industry tell me hey if you want to you want to be successful in this field you should go ahead and get a business degree when you're done with your forestry degree because that's you know 50 percent of what we do mm-hmm. um so when i graduated the timber market was in the trash can <laughs> uh, at the bottom of the housing market you know nobody's buying wood or anything mm-hmm. um so going to business school seemed like a good opportunity and uh so i went to business school at UF and got my master's in that, specializing in agriculture and did some work in ag. But at the time I worked uh, in the forest hydrology lab, just trying to pay my bills, you know, pay mm-hmm. rent and stuff. And so I got a this big background in kind of water science. Um, I was really brought in as a forester, but I ended up learning a lot about water in the process. I mean, I'm still stuck on the fact that there's a whole degree program around forestry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, you know, from there, I just got into these jobs where I was doing all this water work, and mm-hmm. I ultimately went back and got a master's in that also. Um, and so now I have this, like, background that is upland natural systems, uh, wetland systems, how they interact, and then kind of the business piece of that. And mm-hmm. uh, So that kind of puts me in, like, a unique category. Um, and so I was doing work for UF, managing projects mm-hmm. all over. And uh, then I came – I saw a job open up in Winter Haven uh, for an environmental scientist position and applied, got that job. Um as I was here, I started taking on projects, um, mm-hmm. and project management is something that kind of throughout my career I've I've done a lot of, mm-hmm. um, and I think that stems back to Boy Scouts. I spent a lot of time in leadership roles in Boy Scouts, leading service projects and that kind of thing. Um, so started taking on project roles. Um, ultimately, the natural resource manager position opened at the city, and I applied for that. And served in that role for a couple years, um, built a team that I think does some of the most cutting edge work in the Mm -hmm. state of Florida and is continuously recognized at um, professional conferences for that work. Um, And then we had some kind of a void in leadership for a while in public works at the city, uh, just due to some changes and some retirements and things like that. Um, And I just found myself being put into a role to provide some leadership on capital projects and budgeting and kind of all the things that fell in line with the non-natural resource parts of my background. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had hired a public works director who was here for about a year Mm -hmm. and then ultimately took a job closer to home. And then I was brought in, or we did a national search um, through a very thorough uh, interview (laughs) process. And uh, and then ultimately I was hired into that role and we've been Mm -hmm. kind of rolling ever since. So So when you were growing up, were you always kind of inquisitive to how things work? Because you, you talked about how you enjoyed the outdoors and, you know, most people just enjoy the outdoors, but they don't sit and 
think, I wonder how that grass is affecting the, my fishing or, you know, like, did, did you have that kind of natural curiosity on how things worked? Yeah, I think, I think I did. And, uh, this goes back to Boy Scouts, you know, I spent a lot of time out in the woods and, and doing things like merit badges where, um, you're asked those questions, right. And you have mm-hmm. to think about those things at a very young age. And then that kind of evolved into that AP environmental science class in school. And, uh, you know, I always liked science classes, um, and then ultimately, it just kind of led me down the path that I took. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what all is, you know, natural resources, I think people, you know, somewhat have a grasp on that. You're talking about how you're protecting the land, the lakes. Um, you know, I, you were one of the first people to teach me about how, uh, you know, the water gets absorbed and, you know, the cycle of life, if you will, for, for water in the Winter Haven community. Um, but what all falls under the public works department? Right. So, yeah, natural resources is a part of that. Um, but then also we have um, solid waste is one of our biggest divisions. Um, so that involves residential garbage collection, uh, residential recycling, the uh, yard debris and junk, which is picked up with like our big claw trucks, mm-hmm. um, commercial garbage. And then also we run a roll off operation. Um, and those are. What's a roll off operation? So roll off like if you're doing construction at your house and oh, you right. need a dumpster. Mm-hmm. Um, so we run a. a an operation like that mm-hmm. um but that's a that's a fascinating industry it's, it's very heavy on logistics um and then with everything that's been happening in the recycling industry the last few years we've had to think very strategically about mm-hmm. how to evolve that's where we ended up um actually bringing recycling in-house last year city commission made that decision um and that's given us a lot more resiliency so mm-hmm. we can we can pivot with the recycling market which is something we weren't really able to do before with mm-hmm. our contracts I've actually think throughout the course of season one, I joked about Polk County. I live in the county limits, just outside the city limits, unfortunately. But um, recycling, they've clamped down on recycling. You know, you can't do glass. And um, I mean, literally, they sent a whole menu of the types of plastics that you can't put in. Um, How has the city dealt with that? Because you talk, a lot of people think that recycling, especially, um, you know, you and I that grew up with the, we were taught about recycling first. And then we went home and we made to our parents knew how to recycle and all of that so recycling is just something in our in our dna that's what we learned to do and now i'm being told you can't do this and you can't do this and it at the end of the day it's not really about the higher purpose as it is what money can be received by selling off the recycling when it comes to the business model of a municipality or county so how have you guys pivoted with that yeah so it's it's, recycling is fascinating Mm -hmm. um and like you said it's really about how those materials can actually get reused um, and so I can't speak for the county's operation, but we work. Nor do with, you want to. <laughs> no, um, and we work. We work with Republic Services. Uh, mm-hmm. They run up what's called a materials reduction facility over on the eastern part of the county, mm-hmm. and um, a MRF. A MRF. I learned yes, that MRF. A MRF. <laughs> um, and so what they do there is we bring all of our recycled materials in. They sort them out, and then they sell them. Um, and so we actually get a report every month with our invoice that shows um, where those materials are getting sold, what the market rate is for them, what we got or what Republic got paid for them. Mm -hmm. And in a perfect world, we would get a dividend back from that. Um, But those materials are, we're about breaking even. Okay. A lot of that right now. Yeah. And that MRF facility, um, I actually used to represent Republic Services for some of their local PR when I worked for Clark McDell Powell. And uh, Mike Pothas and I went and did a video shoot and a photo shoot out at the MRF facility there in in Lakeland off of Maine. And it's fascinating that, you know, they take these, uh, you know, big 
bulldozers full of recycling and they dump it on this feeder belt and by infrared technology and laser beams and everything it sorts off and it dumps yeah. off this plastic goes here this metal goes here i mean it just it's this uh you know really well engineered um system to sort the recycling that goes through there yeah it's pretty cool too um one thing that i didn't know before we started working with republic is um they actually sell a lot of their materials stay within the southeastern United States. So mm -hmm. a lot of companies um, ship their recycled materials overseas to right. be sorted and dealt with over there. Uh, but since Republic is able to do that recycling, they have clients all over the southeast. So they'll sell, you know, uh, a raw bale of milk jugs to mm -hmm. a, a company in Alabama that then turns it into something else. So mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff stays pretty local, which is, uh, you know, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So you said recycling, you said uh, garbage collection. Yeah, so that's just our solid waste division. Right. Um, and then we have uh, streets, drainage, and traffic. So that's kind of like everything between the city right-of-way that's not water supply or wastewater. Uh, so that involves streets, sidewalks, street lights, street trees, drainage systems, traffic signals, and street signs, which is um, actually a pretty huge part of the operation that most people probably just take for granted street signs. But right. uh, keeping that up is important and, and a constant effort. So... You know, you talked about, you know, recycling is very interesting and, um, you know, natural resources, obviously. So in the time that I've known you, MJ, you make natural resources and public infrastructure incredibly interesting. Um, and, you know, what what do you find so fascinating about this field? So I think first and foremost, um, they're all just systems, right? And so understanding all these different elements of the systems are cool and then how they interact, I always find that really interesting. And then really it comes down to how do you leverage those different elements of the system and being able to leverage them for public benefit is something that I, I really enjoy. Um, and it's something that's really cool. I've worked at the national and state levels also. Um, and something I really like about working for the city is that you're able to see things, you know, that get done. Right. Like so that we have it's very you have a very intimate relationship where you get to know residents and help them solve problems. Um, you get to drive down a road in a neighborhood that hasn't been paved in 50 years that you guys just finished paving. Like that's really enjoyable to me. Um, Versus just setting policy at the state level. You're actually getting to see the fruits of your labor, if you will. Right. And then I think, you know, just in terms of conveying it, um, we're at a really cool time. Where we're able to use a lot of data to really add context to that conversation. And I think that helps it be more interesting to people. Yeah, well, and that was one thing that I think you've really brought um, uh, or elevated, I guess you could say. I think that uh, certainly through natural resources, um, but citywide now, the conversation since uh, you've um, come on board has been about using data to make informed decisions to improve the customer experience and the customer being the taxpayer and the, the resident in the community or those visiting our community or passing through. Talk about how that change has kind of come about and how you use data. How do you collect the data? Yep. You know, maybe some examples of how you're using data to improve the user process. Um, so I'll give you one that's kind of high level, mm -hmm. and I think we've talked about before. It's uh, our aquatic vegetation monitoring program, right? So when you talk about lake health, it's nutrient-driven. Um, so we're talking excess nitrogen, excess phosphorus. The lake's a little bit out of whack. I think it's important to understand, too, that water quality – in our context, isn't water quality issues of like developing countries. Um, you know, we're talking about the system's a little out of whack and how can we make it better? Um, 
So if you're trying to manage nutrients in water, you know, it's about where do those nutrients go? And for our lakes, that's plants. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, you know, the regulation and the management strategies put towards managing lakes only dealt with the, the things that were contributing to those nutrients into water bodies and not what's happening once they're in the lake. Um, and so understanding that vegetation piece becomes really important. And what we've done is we've created a program where we sonar map our lakes every year uh, or multiple times a year now. Um, so we have a, a 3D image of what the biomass in that lake looks like. And then we do a point sampling to understand what the species distribution is. And, and we can use all that data to start to manage those lakes in a way that cr makes them more resilient for mm -hmm. the future. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think ultimately that improves the user experience. And we also take into account things like managing for conflicts with recreation, all that kind of stuff. Um, another one that's really cool um, was our stormwater assessment and improvement project. So this was a legislatively funded effort where we flew LIDAR for the entire city. Uh, so we mapped out, LIDAR is a, uh, it, we use lasers basically to measure the elevations all the way across the city at extremely high resolution. Like hmm. I can tell you the difference between uh, a stripe on a road and asphalt with this, really? with this data. Yeah, it's, it's super high resolution. Um, so we, we mapped and how the whole do you do city that? Wait, from an airplane. Really? <laughs> yeah, so it's a, actually a jet that flies all the way back and forth across the entire city, maps the whole city out, uh, and it creates what we call a digital elevation model. And then we're able to use that, um, and we couple it together with some data we collected in the field on our stormwater system, so where the drains on your street are, where the outfall is, what the size of the pipe is, what, how all those connect, and basically create a model that says, hey, if we get eight inches of rain in Winter Haven um, in 24 hours, where does water stack up on roadways? Mm. And Or if we get a hurricane, you know, where does that stack up? So what we've been able to do is then use that to drive our capital improvement projects for stormwater. So we're, we're moving past dealing with flooding issues, right? That was the stormwater challenges of the past was just like making sure homes didn't flood. In Winter Haven, we're in pretty good shape in that regard. And so we're really, I think, taking things to the next level of saying, um, are we managing the stormwater in a way that it provides treatment to lakes? And then are we managing it in a way that really minimizes standing water on emergency routes during hurricanes, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately all of that should improve the user experience at the end. Right. Um, well, and I think um, with that, it goes beyond um, kind of being reactionary to right. just complaints. For example, you know, in the old days it was, oh, so-and-so says their street's flooding, um, you know, but you're able to actually collect the data and be a little bit preemptive on yeah. that. Um, and I, like, for example, I know you've done a ton of work over in the Lake Howard area. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that, um, what, what was it the other day, we got a ton of rain in a really short period of time which overwhelmed um, uh, one area in Lake Howard. But for the most part, those challenges were able to uh, be mitigated um, through other public works projects like 7th Street or yep. you know other projects that you're using, but you're being able to collect all that data and then drive that you know five-year, 10-year capital uh, improvement project uh, agenda. Yep. Um, another, another good example of that that's like directly uh, customer-related is a program we use called Cartograph, which just helps manage all of our assets. So things like, you know, the thousands of street signs that we have or our traffic signal network. Um, anytime work is done on those, we're able to record it there. If a request is called in, we're able to record it there. We're able to store information for posterity, which helps us 
answer questions faster in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something we've brought on in the last two years. That's a very internal tool, um, but it's really helped our operation become a lot sharper. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then the last division within public works that uh, I got to mention is our fleet. So we have, um, you know, the city, pretty much all of our services require vehicles, right? Because we're providing services out in the community. Um, and so we have a, over 500 vehicles that range from like a normal truck or a car to a fire engine to garbage trucks to vacuum trucks to all kinds of specialized heavy equipment um, and all that needs to get maintained. And so we have a, a shop of mechanics that are some of the most talented folks uh, that you'll come across anywhere in the industry uh, that maintain all of those vehicles. So all of that, you know, we don't take just take care of public works vehicles. We take care of everything for the whole city. Um, and that's a, that's a really interesting part of the operation as well. Stay with us for more after a word from our sponsors. After the year we've had, we're all looking forward to a fresh start. Advent Health Medical Group Primary Care wants to help make 2021 the year you and your family feel whole in body, mind, and spirit by starting with these suggested four steps. One, see your primary care provider, make an appointment and talk about your health goals. Two, get moving, exercise every day for at least 30 minutes. Three, rest. You need seven to eight hours of sleep per night. And four, eat, hydrate and be healthy. Prepare healthy meals in advance and challenge yourself to drink 64 ounces of water a day. For more information, visit polkcountyprimarycare.com. So, so much of your department interacts heavily with other departments at the city. I mean, when we talk about data management, you have an element of IT involved um, in how you do that. When it comes to uh, natural resource and public works, I'm sure... Uh, you know, to the general public, utilities and public works sounds like it's the same thing. So, and and you do, um, a lot of what you do does integrate into um, each other, but it's a whole separate department that's dealing with, you know, the, the water that's flushing the toilet and, and all of that. Um, kind of what is that culture of collaboration at the city and how do you, because you guys have some very ambitious projects, some of which that you've already accomplished, some of which that you're in the middle of right now. And I want to talk about some of those. But what is that culture of collaboration? Yeah, I think I so I've worked for the city for uh, almost nine years, actually, just just over nine years now. Um, And I probably didn't appreciate how good the culture is in that regard until I was there for probably about four years, um, where I'd started really working more with other municipalities or um, other people that worked, uh, you know, interacting in professional organizations with people from other cities where you hear a lot of talk about silos, right? And mm-hmm. everybody's kind of working on their own thing and nobody's communicating. Like, that doesn't happen at all at the city. And, and I think it's a factor of our size that we're, we're sized really well where you can't not interact. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we have to cross paths with people. We also just have a really good team that's open to that. You know, nobody gets, like, defensive or anything. Um, everybody's very open and willing to work together, which I think has really helped us, especially in the last few years, um, move some of those really big projects that we talked about. And I mean, we're, we're working on a lot of things that I think are very cutting edge in the, in the state. Um, and I think it's that 
culture that allows us to be so agile and to, to make those things happen. Yeah. The city manager talks a lot about being okay with us being the proving ground for trying something new, which I think um, a lot of us are very proud of because we, we do want to say, you know, hey, we were the first to do this or, you know, our team developed this idea of how to, you know, reinfuse water into the aquifer or whatever it might be. Um, and, and that, um, you guys are given um, within region a budget, a leash to try to to go out and, and try new things. So talk a little bit about the projects because capital improvement projects have become a big part of your daily life now. Um, remember when they were doing 7th Street, you'd be out there standing in the street inspecting things and, and answering constituent questions and all of that, that sort of thing. But talk about um, under the purview of Public Works, what are some of the big projects that you guys are working on right now? Yeah, so um, I'd say one of the biggest ones we have under construction right now is our Lake Conine Wetland Restoration Project. Mm -hmm. So that is pretty significant. Um, it takes the last major untreated outfall that goes to the chain of lakes offline. So right now there's about a 400-acre watershed that when it rains, everything that every piece is a pavement or roof that uh, that rainwater hits ultimately flows through a stormwater system and goes directly into Lake Conine mm -hmm. uh, through a series of pipes and ditches. Um, what we're doing is we're taking that offline and we're going to route all that water through this wetland uh, that'll help to clean it up before that water gets to the lake. It'll also provide some other health benefits to the lake long term. But uh, that's a big undertaking. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a, about a three and a half million dollar project that we have um, two state partners on. We're partnering with FDEP, um, the Southwest Florida Water Management District and Polk County to help fund all of that. And mm -hmm. managing the agreements for that alone is, uh, <laughs> is kind of a nightmare. <laughs> but but it's a huge impact to the community. Um, it also is a perfect example of the types of projects we like to do where we're solving flooding issues, water quality issues, and it creates this place that can become a, a community green space or a park in the future. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So it's, but you know, that all, the park would never be able to come to fruition if we didn't have the funding from the water quality side to, uh, to be able to make those improvements. Yeah, and one thing that I think the city of Winter Haven does extremely well is leveraging state um, uh, and national, in some cases, funding partners for these projects. So when the taxpayer comes to you and says, well, how much money did we spend on this? And in almost every project, it's a very small percentage of, of Winter Haven money uh, that is put in. But that money that Winter Haven does put in is very important to getting the, the project to move forward. And and obviously, you know, um, in your role, you wear a lot of hats from, from scientist to project manager to logistics coordinator and then advocate. Because a lot of these have to go through the legislature for approval of funding and and things of that nature. Um, two other, you mentioned leveraging state dollars. Two other big projects we have that are just getting underway um, are a complete street project on South Lake Silver Drive. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, so we have about 1.4 million in grants from DOT on that, and the project came in at 1.2. Oh, wow. Uh, in bid, so I mean, under bid, which is under mm -hmm. budget, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and our input on that was the design portion, which was in the range of like $100,000. Wow. Um, very similar project, similar budget amounts for a uh, complete street that's going on. Um, second or uh, sorry, third street and Avenue C down near Grove Roots, right. that whole area. Mm -hmm. And then we're in the design process for one on Avenue K right now. Right. Um, which is the road that the leads up to Polk state. Yep. So, um, for those that may not be familiar with a complete street, talk a little bit about what that will be for the end user, but then also what other benefits a complete street provides to your department. Yeah. So for us, um, we've already gone through and replaced all the water and water lines in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's done. And then we'll come in and do some stormwater work. So just kind of looking at the drainage aspect, because if you have poor drainage, your road's going to fail or it's going to degrade faster. Mm -hmm. 
So fixing some of the drainage stuff there, um, but then also slimming that road down a little bit um, to help with traffic calming and then increasing the pedestrian safe havens. Like right now, uh, there's no sidewalks along a lot of that road. And mm -hmm. when we're done, you'll have um, an improved asphalt path on one side and a sidewalk on the other. Uh, and then we're also going to be improving the intersection connections. So where it connects to uh, First Street to the east near the hospital, mm -hmm. kind of slowing traffic down as it comes around that corner. And then, um, and then changing the intersection near the uh, the Garden Club, okay. which is which is right. it's know, awkward. It's, it's very awkward. awkward. You yeah. don't really know, especially as that's become a busier road. Right, right. Will there be um, uh, any change to that sidewalk that's right along First Street? So on the other side of Lake Silver, where it's like the sidewalk, and then you could literally step right in. Is that is there any change to that side or not, no? Not yet. Okay. Um, that is part of a, a DOT project, um, that, that portion of First Street is actually a DOT road. Mm -hmm. And so there there's some design going on right now that'll cover from about Central Avenue all the way north. Um, Avenue O, I think Yeah, it is. right about yeah, Avenue, Avenue O. Avenue O. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll keep that in mind because I've been I've been the nosy neighbor with that DOT project, which seemed to pop out of, no, out of nowhere. You know, we've been paying so much attention to 7th Street and 17 and Cypress Gardens Boulevard and, oh, the committees that you and I sit on together yeah. for that. But um, and then all of a sudden I was on a phone call and somebody's like, well, the first street project. And I'm like, what? What first street project? How did I miss that one? But uh, they're going to have a lot of stakeholder uh, group meetings, I think, in the spring uh, to talk about that and potential uh, uh, crossover closings and, and things of that nature. So I think there'll be a lot more to come on that. A lot of exciting projects that are going on in that realm. Um, and, and ones that kind of, when we talk about collaboration, complement other things that have been going on. So obviously the, the Lake Silver Complete Street Project is um, a wonderful addition to the renovations that have already been going on over there with the skate park and the amphitheater and then, of course, the ADA um, uh, compliance upgrade projects. And then sidewalk has always been a big conversation. And um, you and I are both involved in Polk Vision. And, um, and one of the core tenets of their infrastructure committee is trying to get every municipality to budget more for sidewalks and it's you know it's not really something that a couple of years ago the city of winter haven or a lot of cities um we were we were in the majority didn't really budget for sidewalks every year um how has that changed yeah so we um we used to budget about thirty thousand dollars for <laughs> sidewalks uh which isn't that basically gets us some maintenance yeah. um if you're talking about constructing sidewalks we had a one point increase that budget up towards 75,000 um, and really that only builds you like 600 feet of sidewalk if you contract wow. that out which is nothing wow. uh, we have uh, about 400,000 linear feet of what we consider sidewalk gaps in the city so mm -hmm. 600 gaps go, sidewalk gaps yeah so going about 600 feet at a time doesn't get you there very quick <laughs> um, so we worked we worked out some numbers and uh, we've created a sidewalk crew mm -hmm. uh, so we're gonna be able to build those in-house and uh, we should be able to build about 200 feet a week like that wow um using the same money that we had budgeted previously just for materials um and now so are that, you kind of focusing on i know one thing with polk vision we were really focused on was the areas around schools and kind of heavier pedestrian areas particularly when it comes to pedestrian safety of children um which is obviously there's been a lot of terrible accidents over the the past couple of years with children getting hit by cars and waiting for the bus and things of that nature yeah so this is a data question again yeah. so Three years ago, I couldn't tell you where we had sidewalks and where we didn't in the city. Um, so that was part of our roadway. But we collected data on um, street signs, the road network, and then sidewalks, where we have sidewalks, where we don't. 
um, when we use that to kind of put this whole plan together. And so what we've done is we've looked at areas that have enough right of way to construct sidewalk. We've looked at areas that have connectivity to our existing system. We've looked at proximity to schools using some of that data from Polk Vision. Um, and so that's why we've really whittled it down to about 50,000 linear feet that are kind of our top priority. Gotcha. Um, and then what we're doing now is really going out and just field verifying that. So that's the kind of the, the stormwater or the sidewalk crew. We're just in the process of hiring those positions. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things they'll do is go out and field verify because there's places where maybe you have enough right away, but the elevation is such that you'd have to build like a retaining wall and maybe that becomes a bigger project. You know? mm-hmm. um, so just trying to figure those things out right now. Okay. So, um, you know, kind of putting on your natural resources hat and, and your public works hat, there is a pretty big effort at the city right now called One Water. Can you explain a little bit to our listeners what that is and how it you know, interacts with you, how it interacts with utilities, you know, what's the overall of that project? Yeah, so water is a very um, complex subject, right, as, as you've learned. And there's so much more to it than it probably most people ever even realize. I've learned to smile and nod a lot yeah. when we're talking about um, stuff. But there's, but, but it's the, it is a perfect example of the type of interaction that happens at the city all the time. Um, so as one example, our system in Florida is very unique in that it recharges. So when it rains, water can percolate through sandy soils, move through our aquifer, which allows water movement and recharge. That then that water gets pulled back out by us when we are, um, you know, distributing drinking water. If that recharge doesn't happen, you know, we start to limit that available water supply in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's a big goal of One Water, right? So it's really an integrated approach to solving these problems. And one of the biggest challenges with recharge is new development that isn't allowed to focus on recharge. So if if recharge benefits lakes and it benefits water supply, so public works and utilities working together on that, but the development piece has to come from our planning and engineering staff and working with the local development community. Right. Um, and so we're doing that. And so kind of all that happens under that one water umbrella. It's, it's everybody coming to the table and saying, how do we solve these problems? Um, in the development example, those don't have to be mutually exclusive things. Like you can develop in a way using green infrastructure that you still get the same amount of recharge you did on a site before that development was there, mm-hmm. thereby making that whole system of recharge sustainable. Um, but there's some things we have to do to make that a reality. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing work right now. That's another uh, actually grant we have from FDEP is working with the development community to figure out how we reduce those barriers um, to allow them to be able to use green infrastructure. Because right now, some of the regulations we have actually discourage that. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of changing changing the way we think about things. Um, but that's, that's just one example of how One Water can kind of solve some problems. It's just a very integrated approach to... Um, figuring out how we have a sustainable water supply for the future for both um, drinking water and natural systems and, and all of that. Well, and I feel like over the last, let's see, I've been in this job uh, six and a half years, and, and you said you're almost at 10 years, um, you know, with the city. So much of the focus of our jobs has been laying the foundation for the future. Um, and th- that's what I really uh, enjoy so much. I, I mean, I don't think I could work in the city of Winter Haven if it weren't saying, okay, what are we doing to, to plan for, you know, the next 10 years and how do we create more sustainability for the quality of life, which is a huge piece because right now, uh, Central Florida and Winter Haven, Polk County, 
we are the eye of developers everywhere. You know, it's it, another Orange Grove gets sold off and is going to become a neighborhood with X number of parcels. So how do we encourage those developers even now? I mean, the sidewalks is a good point. You know, it's built in that people have to do sidewalks. Unfortunately, half the time those end up being sidewalks to nowhere that then create a gap that you have to figure <laughs> out how to solve. Um, but, you know, um, it's another example of how siloing doesn't work. So making sure that the... Um, the, the growth management department, which has a fancy new name that I can never remember, community reinvestment. Um, but, uh, you know, make sure that, that they know what your priorities are. And then, and then of course, the, the, what is causing pressure on the utility department. And, you know, it's kind of like schools. I've, I've never really understood how, you know, of course, when a new development goes before uh, the city commission and they have to say, well, what's the impact going to be on schools? And so, the school has to say, well, there's capacity. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's capacity at the school that is right next door. It just means within the Polk County school system, there is capacity, which to me uh, boggles my mind a little bit on um, how that is reflected in, oh, well, we have school capacity. Well, not, not so much. Um, and, and the new school is not getting built for another five to ten years. So, um, But how it all interacts and, and communicates um, at a much greater level. Uh, and, and then how you turn around and share that information and that data with the community, which I know that's another big project for the IT department at the city is how we then take all this information that you're gathering and release it out. And you guys just la- launched a website not too long ago about the lakes, didn't you? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good point. We um the so we, we released we, we put two annual reports together mm-hmm. for um for our lakes so one is kind of a static report it's a traditional kind of pdf paper report um and one thing of note in the back of that it, it outlines management strategies for each individual lake so if you want to see wow. hey here's the lake i live on what am i doing it's all in that report but then we also launched this interactive piece um that's really cool mm-hmm. and um, every professional organization we've presented it at we've just gotten excellent feedback um, and it's, I think, one of the coolest things I've seen. And I've looked to try to compare, like, wh- who else might have something like this? And nobody does. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, a very interactive – you can get in and interact with the data that we use to drive our decision-making process. So if you live on Lake Elbert and you want to see aquatic vegetation communities in your lake or how water quality in your lake has changed over time as it relates to the level, all of that information is there for you to interact with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. That really is. Was there anything else you want our listeners to know about Public Works? This is your your podium, MJ, to say whatever you want to say. <laughs> um, I think it's just, you know, everything is systems, right? So it's, it's all these elements and how do we make them work together. Um, I think things that I see coming in the future that we're working on that we're just kind of starting right now, um, as downtown gets denser, how we manage solid waste down there is probably going to have to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big challenge for us right now, and we have some uh, – we have a project budgeted this year to try to make some improvements there. Um, another big piece, and you talk about capacity, is understanding traffic on local roads. Mm-hmm. Um, we've grown a lot in just, I mean, even in the time I've been here, mm-hmm. and a lot of our um, roadway classifications and things that dictate the way that we're able to implement different traffic calming strategies are based off of when we were a community of maybe 17,000 people, mm-hmm. and we're pushing 50 now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to get a better handle on that data in terms of traffic volume. Um, right now, you know, we look at DOT roads and what's happening there. And in some cases we might say, or DOT might say that, hey, 
this intersection works, but in reality, that intersection works because everybody's cutting through the neighborhood, you know, right. eight blocks to the west there. So how do we understand what that traffic flow is so we can, again, put it into context for DOT or take strategies into our own hands and try to figure something out? Right. Um, but, but you got to understand that at a systems level, and that is very, very complicated to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of data that needs to be collected, but we're starting down the road of, of putting those sensors out, um, upgrading our systems so that we have some real-time information on traffic volume and speeds on different roads. And again, we can try to get proactive about the way we manage that rather than just kind of being reactive. Exactly, yeah. One of the um, projects that um, I sat on one of the committees was the Cypress Gardens Boulevard Tourism Corridor, what we call So it didn't even quite go to Overlook Drive, but Cypress Gardens Road, I think it was up past Winterset uh, neighborhood. and and. As a result of the consultants from the DOT that were working on that, they they talked about the number of roads, which there are a lot of roads in that area. It's just not too many of them connect to any other roads. So even if you are a local that's figured out, kind of in the downtown area, we've all figured out, hey, you can cut this way to cut that way to do that, and which drives, I'm sure, the people that live on those streets absolutely bonkers. But when you get into that tourism corridor, there aren't a whole lot of roads that connect to each other. So there's nowhere for you to go. You all have to stay on those, you know, what was it, like eight roads, I think it was, in that whole area that gives um, locals the option to get off the roads. And you just you don't even think about that, and it really didn't matter 15 years ago when the population wasn't there. But you talk about we're pushing 50,000 residents. That's just in the city limits. That's in your customer base, if you will. But realistically, we're 80,000, 85,000 when you think about the number of of people that live in the unincorporated Winter Haven area and are still using all of your roads and all of your traffic lights and, you know, all of it that comes with that. So um, it's overwhelming to think about, um, which is why I don't do it and why you do it, <laughs> because you are good at managing that data and uh, and figuring out how to get it into a system. So, well, MJ, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate it and um, uh, look forward to seeing many of these projects come to fruition. Yep. Thanks for having me. We'd like to welcome and thank Mahalik Auto Group for sponsoring season two of our podcast. This family-owned and operated business was first founded in Michigan in 1966 by Ralph Mahalik Sr. The family opened Winter Haven Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram in 1991 and has continued to expand in Polk County, now owning three additional dealerships, Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram at Posner Park, in Lake Wales, and Alfa Romeo Fiat of Winter Haven. Not only are their teams dedicated to finding you the perfect vehicle, but they are also focused on building a strong relationship with the community and treating their buyers like family. Find your new ride for 2021 and learn more at www.low-payment-kings.com. Well, that's it for another episode of It's Happening in the Haven. We'd like to thank our guests for today's podcast, MJ Carnavali, Public Works Director for the City of Winter Haven. Be sure to tune in every week to It's Happening in the Haven, available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. To learn more about Winter Haven and the Chamber of Commerce, visit winterhavenchamber.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you learned a little bit more about our community today and even more about the people who are shaping its future. After all, No true community exists without the people who form it.
Winter Haven. Some call it a haven, we call it home.